Thank you, Mark and Brian. You both um, encouraged me a lot as, as a member of Al-Anon and as a parent um, of seven very sick children, <laughs> who I refer to as the Mansons. So I, I really enjoyed your, um, your leads. Um, my name is Kathy. I've been a member of Al-Anon for uh, just over five years. And hello. Um, I, I am always at a loss as to how to begin a lead because I, I never know how, where to start. Um, I, I don't remember, you know, it's, I, I always think that perhaps sometime there might, you know, I might be overcome with this wonderful insight about my early years and I haven't, I haven't had that yet. As a child, I had a, you know, I had a lovely childhood. I had a nice time. There wasn't any alcoholism in the family. Um, my parents, um, were very close. They were very funny. Uh, I'm one of six kids, and my brothers and sisters, you know, are are funny people. We didn't, you know, nothing really unusual happened. It was a very enjoyable childhood. Um, sometimes I feel like I I should apologize. For that. <laughs> I couldn't help it. It wasn't anything I did. You know, I just said, uh, you know, and I guess that's, you know, that's. That's the, the reason that I'm here is because I, I have that attitude that I should apologize for good fortune sometimes. Um, I had a great childhood. I loved it. I know, you know, there were there are a lot of defects in my character. Um, I would like to think that all my problems started when I married an alcoholic, but indeed they did not. Um, I, you know, have a need then and still do for, you know, for uh, attention. I have a need to be accepted, and I have this sense that I could, given um, Full rain, fix most everyone's life. Um, when I met my husband, I uh, thought he was terrific. I thought he was wonderful. You know, being in Al-Anon, I, I've heard a lot of different men and women say what it was that attracted them to their to their alcoholic spouses. Um, and I know for some, you know, it's a question of, of wanting to, you know, to fix, of wanting to, um, you know, be maternal or, or, or paternal. I just know that my husband, when I met him, I thought he was the neatest thing I had ever met. He was, uh, had just uh, gotten his wings. He was landing on carriers uh, in the Atlantic, and I thought that was so neat. He was a little bit older than I was, so most of the, at that time, the boys that I were dating, you know, were, you know, over at XU, they were getting smashed and singing Louie Louie, and this guy comes along, you know, and he's got a flight jacket on, and he's landing this jet at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and I fell completely in love with him. I thought he was a neat guy. He, uh, you know, was a real, he, he didn't really care about um, what others thought about him, I thought. You know, he would say what was on his mind, and what really intrigued me about him is that you never knew what he was going to do next, and I thought... <laughs> I thought that was exciting. I thought, gee, wouldn't it be great to be married to this guy? How exciting life would be. <laughs> How much fun. <clears throat> the only thing that I did notice is he did drink, but he drank out of the silver cup. And so I thought that was a pretty class act, and I never thought about it much. And I had, because we were both from Cincinnati, I did know that he came from a, I mean, I knew that his father was a oh, an enormous drunk. I mean, I had heard about his father when I was 12, and I didn't even know anybody in the family. He had a big reputation in Cincinnati for being a mean drunk, and I, you know, that reassured me that, of course, then, you know, his son would never, you know, would never repeat that pattern. Um, the only other thing that I, that troubled me really was the fact that um, he would get very, very angry about, um, about little things. Uh, I said to somebody once, the thing about him was that you, you know, I, I could, 
I, I didn't, but I could hit him over the head with a brick and that wouldn't bother him. I could accidentally bump him with my elbow and he'd go into a rage. You just never knew what was going to spark that anger. But I thought, well, you know, he was down, uh, you know, at that time in, in Texas, in Beeville, Texas, finishing up flight training, and I was back in Cincinnati in school, and I thought, well, you know, a lot of this is just problems with communication. Once we're married and we live together, he'll be fine. He'll, you know, we get all these things resolved. He won't get mad. I mean, nobody, nobody got mad at me. I wasn't used to people being angry with me, and, and I just thought that it would be okay. So we did. We got married. And I um, I think that I recognized early on um, that there was something really wrong. Um, I mean, within weeks, I knew there was something really wrong here, that all my uh, joking and all my um, letting things slide was not going to fix. Um, and it scared me. It, it, it frightened me because I had always thought that I was going to have this wonderful, exciting life. And not only did I think that I was going to have it, I also thought that I deserved it. And, you know, I think early on I saw that things were not going to go that way. And not only did that frighten me, but it also made me very mad because I began to feel like, um, I began to feel like I was on a horse and I didn't have the reins and my husband did and I you know all I could do was hold on to the saddle horn and, and try not to fall off but I began to feel like I I wasn't in charge of my own my own life I began to feel like it was going to take any direction he should decide for it to take um, I can remember on our on our way down you know after we were married I and mean, we didn't take a honeymoon because he needed to get back to um, he needed to get back to a squadron and we were going through a car wash and we had all the car, you know, packed with, you know, his clothes and my clothes and, and wedding gifts. And we went through a car wash and he said, now make sure your, you know, make sure your window's up. And I said, oh, it's up, it's up. And we went through the car wash and of course my window wasn't rolled all the way up. And all the hot water and the studs were coming in and the hot wax. I mean, I thought that was a scream. <laughs> Black, I mean, he, not only did he not think it was a scream, I could never get him to admit that there was even a little bit of humor in it. <laughs> and that seems funny, but I'll tell you, then I thought, oh my God. God, this is really, I mean, this is going to present a problem. Um, when we were, after we were married, he was stationed in uh, North Carolina, and we, we lived in this little trailer. And um, I often tell this story because it, it, it really zeroes in for me uh, some, you know, some of what happened. My husband did not drink every day. He didn't because he flew, and he, when he flew, he didn't drink. I mean, he never broke that, he, he never broke that, uh, um, whatever it was, a requirement that the you know the naval people had. You didn't. He never did that. Um, I wish he had. I, honestly, I wish he had drunk more. <laughs> but he didn't. Um, one time I was there and we got this we got this wedding gift and it was crystal or china or something fragile and it was packed in straw and he was out flying and I and the mailman arrived and I opened up the you know the stuff and I got out the glasses and thought isn't that great and I threw the box outside in, near the garbage cans and when he came home he was mad number one because it was addressed to both of us and I had opened it you know and I thought God that is you know my my first my first instinct was well now that is a weird thing to be mad about. But then my second instinct is, well, maybe he's right. Maybe I shouldn't have. It is a dread. You know, maybe the, I would always try to make that unreasonable behavior reasonable because I didn't know what else to do with it. 
So no matter what, and that was a pattern that went on for years, I would always find myself making, trying to make bizarre behavior seem normal. Not only to me, but to everybody around me. At any rate, so then he came home and he was mad about that, and then he saw this straw out on this grass. I mean, we were living in a trailer camp, for God's sake. Nothing against anybody who lives in a trailer camp that's fine, but I mean, nobody there, I mean, everybody there was very laid back. So he said, you got straw out in the garbage can, you better go pick it up. You know, and then again, I think, fine, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe I should. You know, we hadn't been married long, we've only been married ten days, maybe. I thought, well, maybe we should get Man, I've never been married before. Maybe this is part of the, you know, what they call the adjustment thing. So I go out and I pick up the straw and I went the straw and, and, and I went to get back in and the door was locked and I said, excuse me, would you open the door? And he said, you missed some. I thought, oh, you're kidding. And he wasn't. And he said, oh, no, you can't come in. You pick it all up. So I thought, you got to be nuts. And you are probably. And I'm leaving. And so, I, I don't know if any of you have ever gone to Hamlock, North Carolina, but there isn't any place to leave to. <laughs> I walked up to the highway, and there is a, you know, there's a Sears catalog store where you can go and put in your order. And then there was a furniture store. And so, I went to the furniture store, and I just walked around, and I looked at the furniture, and the people said, can we help you? And I said, no, I'm just looking. And I, wa- I mean, I stayed in there for about an hour, and I felt so aw- I felt so awfully lonely, and I was afraid, and I, and I was disappointed in myself. And I thought, I mean, I, I'm crazy about my mother, and, and you'll get that, I'm sure, through one of those leads. I would always say, now, what would my mother do? And I didn't know, because this never happened to my mother. You know, I had nothing... I had nothing in my whole 22 years to fall back on, to think, now, what is the reasonable thing? What is the kind thing? What is the Christian? I had nothing to draw from. And so I thought, well, you know, I can wait till he goes off tomorrow, and I can write out a check and get somehow to an airport and fly home. And then I thought, oh, that's great, you know. I've been married for 10 days, and I come home and say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. <laughs> and so, and actually, you know, looking back on it now, that was, my, that was a wonderful plan. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good idea. <laughs> but I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I, I thought, oh, no, I better get home. I mean, I was getting tired of walking around the, you know, the, the couches and end tables. So I thought, oh, what the hell, I'll go home, you know, make the best out of this. So I went home and I picked up the straw, you know, and I, and I hated him and I hated me. I hated him for being such an idiot. And worse than that, and more strongly than that, I hated me. You know, I was disappointed in me for doing it. And that was, you know, that was day 10. And, and so, uh, you know, it, it, it got worse for me. You know, I mean, I, I was not used to being, to feeling that way about myself. I mean, you know, in growing up, I do things that I, I was ashamed of or I thought, gee, I shouldn't have done that. But it wasn't anything like this. I mean, I never felt that strongly against myself as I was beginning to feel through this. Um, in six months, my husband's squadron was sent to Vietnam. And although I don't think I'm the only wife that was glad to see her husband go to Vietnam, I was the only wife I knew that was glad to see her husband go to Vietnam. And I felt very badly about that. Um, I can remember all the other wives were saying, oh, what will I do without him? I'll be so lonely. And I thought, oh, God, how many more days was it till he leaves? <laughs> I've only been married six months. You know, and I, and I, so I knew there was something wrong. I didn't know that was not natural. But I didn't know... I didn't know what it was, and I never connected it with drinking, because in the military, particularly for pilots, 
they are, I hate to generalize, but they are a crazy lot. I mean, they are wildness. And so my husband's drinking did not stand out. His bizarre behavior didn't stand out. The only thing that stood out about him is that he he was of the third variety. When he drank, he he was mean, and he got very mean when he drank. Um, and and you know he never hurt me, but only I and, and maybe he never would have. I don't know, but I knew enough to shut up when he drank. I knew enough not to say not your fifteenth, you know, bourbon and wine. I would never say that. I would just be very quiet, and I would think, oh my God, when are we gonna get home? And my insides were in knots because I was really afraid of him when I drank when he drank. I was very afraid of him when he drank. And as it turned out, on several occasions, he would get so obnoxious, I didn't have to worry about it because although he never started a fight, he would get so obnoxious, sooner or later, somebody would just smash him. I mean, you know, somebody would just beat him, you know, to a pulp. Um, anyway, so he went to Vietnam, and people would say to me, oh, aren't you afraid he'll get shot down? I said, no. I know he won't get shot down. He's too mean. I didn't say that. <laughs> They would never shoot him down. I knew it. I thought it will never be that simple. They will never shoot him down. And so I was never worried. And people said, aren't you worried? I said, no, I'm not worried. I know he'll be fine. I know he'll be fine. And I always thought that if he got shut down, I certainly didn't want him to die. I hadn't reached that point yet. I did not want him to die. But I thought, wouldn't it be nice if he could just be captured? And just... <laughs> and be, you know, and I thought maybe that experience would... Because... You know, I have to say, and I and maybe we don't say it enough in Al-Anon, that through this all, I was crazy about my husband. I loved him. And there is so much, you know, there were so many golden points about him. And unfortunately, my own fear began, you know, to discount those wonderful qualities that he had. Because he did. He was terrific. But I used to think perhaps if something dramatic happened to him, like torture, he, he would get better, you know. And it would, you know, he'd think, oh, my God, I'm so glad I'm alive. I'm going to go home. I will never be mean again. And, and it would be a, a religious experience for him, you know. But he wasn't shot down. And then he came back. <laughs> and I make a joke of that. But, you know, I felt crummy. I mean, I felt crummy for feeling that way. I knew that, you know. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a, the languishing bride, you know, wanted, you know, couldn't wait for him to come back, but I wasn't, I wasn't. I was relieved when he was gone, and when he was gone, I would look back on those six months and think, what happened there? What went wrong? What did I do? You know, it, it, maybe I, and you know, I turned against my own parents and blamed them for having such a wonderful marriage. I thought, you know, if they had fought more, maybe it would have taught us more as kids growing up. And I'm not, I really resented them for getting along so well because I thought, you know, I have no, I don't know how to, I don't know what I'm doing. I assumed that once you got, that once I got married, my marriage would be like my parents. They never got mad at each other or never at the same time, you know, or my mother would get mad and my father would, you know, laugh. But I mean, that's what we did when I grew up. We laughed things off. Um, I went to a social worker one time <laughs> when things really got bad. And she said, what was your parents' marriage like? And I said, well, you know, everybody in my family just laughed. And she said, well, that's a weird way to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Not very realistic. I said, well, you want to come home to the house usher and see realism, lady? <laughs> 
So anyway, I don't know. You know, eventually, you know, you know, he came back, and and um, and you know, and things were great for a while. And I thought, oh, you know, it's going to work. And then it, it it didn't. You know, the drinking continued again. Though never, I never pinpointed drinking with the problem. I never connected. Never even thought for a minute. Never even. I didn't know anything about alcoholism. Um, so he got out of the military and decided to go to school, and he decided he wanted to be a dentist. So I said, well, that's great. So um, things changed. We, when uh, he went to dental school, um, he was great. He didn't drink. He loved it. He was going to school every day, and it was terrific. And I thought to myself, well, I guess, I'll, I guess that was a fluke. I, I, don't know what, I don't know what happened to those first years of marriage, but I guess we've worked through it. I guess everything's fine now. Um, but then, but it wasn't for long. I mean, he when he got out of dental school and went into practice, then then things got bad again. We were back in Cincinnati, and um, I don't know. He, he started. I don't know what happened. He started drinking. He started to use drugs, and and I started to get again. You know that awful sense and, and angry with myself. How could you have been so dumb? You know to have thought that everything was going to be okay. It's not okay. It's awful, and it's going to stay awful. And this is your punishment for having 21 years of nice life. Now the rest of your life is going to be crap. <laughs> and that's what I thought. And I thought, well, you know, how can I complain? I had a lovely childhood. You know, why should I expect a nice adulthood? I guess I'm asking too much. <laughs> and, I, and I thought that. I did all those kinds of things. I was such a pain in the ass when I think back on it. You know, I mean, that's what I did. And so I thought, well, now let's see. Now what will I try? And what confused me so badly is that I continue, I, you know, I kept changing my hat. First, I'd be real tough and think, this is what he must like. I mean, anybody that was in the Marines must love this. And I'd say, now look, you know, if you don't straighten up, I'm leaving. Well, he knew I wasn't going to leave. And, and, and then I'd say, well, now maybe I should try another approach. Maybe I'll be really nice. And it'll make him feel so guilty that he'll change. You know, so I'd go around. And at the time, he'd gotten out of dentistry. And now he, was doing, he wasn't really doing anything. He was trapping animals every once in a while. And that's all he was doing. <laughs> So I'd say, well, now maybe I'll, you know, I'd go into the bedroom and he'd be laying there watching TV and he kept a rifle by his bed so he could shoot birds and squirrels out the window. And I would say, and I always made that sound intriguing to my family and friends. You know, I would trace that situation and make it sound like, you know, what a what an individualist I'm married to, you know. At the time, we had five or six kids. But will he work a nine-to-five job? No. He's trapping. He's, he's a trapper. What does he have to do? He's a trapper. <laughs> Now, this was a man that was a jet pilot, he was a dentist, and he had his real estate license, but he decided he wanted to be a trapper. So I made that, you know, that's I, all that energy I had, you know, I would write my friends, and, and oh, that was so much effort to try to present this situation as being normal, and to present myself as being happy and content with it, and to my children, you know, I mean, to have to say to my kids, you can't play on the north side of the house, dad's shooting out the window. <laughs> Take your friend. And I don't know if they think that's weird. I never really talked about that to them since. I don't know if that was weird. I know it upset them because, you know, when they'd come home from school and they'd say, Father's occupation, they'd say, Mom, what do we put? And I'd say, um, put in business for himself. <laughs> and I pretended, you know, because I didn't know what to do. I pretended that, that, that what, you know, that my fear in the situation wasn't there, that their fear in the situation wasn't there. And I just thought, you know, if we can just pretend that things are okay, things will be okay. Um, oh, 
Oh, uh, I mean, when I when I think of, of of the games that I used to play, one thing that I used to do is I would um, one time I was um, painting the bedroom and I was burning with one of those torches the paint off off the window and he was in the bed, you know, and I was um, it was I was pregnant with I don't know which number and I was scraping the paint off and I consciously I mean I did it on purpose I turned to him in my my most you know condescending voice I said. Would, do you want me to get you something to drink? You look a little hot, and, you know. And I thought, if that son of a bitch says yes, then I will know that he is the meanest man alive. And he said something like, "No, I've got something here." I did that kind of stuff all the time. If I had worked all day long in the house cleaning it, and had stopped to read a book, and he'd come in the kitchen door one time, I threw my book in the oven just so I didn't, just so he never, so he didn't think I was having a good time. Because I thought, if he never once did it occur to me that throwing a book in the oven was strange. It was strange. It was so important to me for him to feel badly. And that was not unconscious. I did that consciously. If I could make him feel badly enough, he would come to his senses and say, what, what have I done with my life? You know, I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to, you know, I don't know what I thought he'd do, but I thought that, you know, that, that, would, that, would be the, that was the best thing. And in the meantime, again, you know, oh, you know, my parents, God love them, never said one word. I mean, they, they went along with it with me, you know. They never asked. They never questioned anything. They, they you know, they were, they were never a source of pressure. Um, I had one friend that I used to write, a good friend from school, and she, would, she wrote me one time and said, Kathy, can't you see you're just nursing a wounded bird? And I never wrote her again because she knew. You know, she knew. I remember one time my husband's mother said to me, what are you going to do about him? And, you know, I was so mad at her for saying that because she broke through the, you know, it's like the game was up with her. And I, you know, and I kept saying, well, nothing. He's fine. We're all fine. It's okay. Everything is okay. And it wasn't okay. It was it was not okay at all. Um, and the fear that I lived with, I can remember running the sweeper upstairs and because he didn't work. I mean, I would run the sweeper and I would be in tears because I was thinking, what am I going to do when I'm 65? He doesn't work. There'll never be any Social Security. I'm going to be a bag lady. I know I'm going to be at Fountain Square. My friends will be coming out of Saks and I'll be in Fountain Square with old lettuce that I picked up from Finley Market. I mean, I, you know, went all this, this thing and it was, you know, and I was dead serious about it. I was scared to death. I, my my insides were like you know it was like those icy fingers, and I was so disappointed in myself. I was so disappointed in myself for not being able to figure this thing out, and I was so disappointed in myself for living like this because everything that I really believed was so off from how I was behaving. And every you know and I would find myself saying you know I would find myself being shrewish. You know, and I, and I would, I was beginning to hate myself, you know? I didn't like myself anymore. I didn't like myself for putting up with things. I didn't like myself for saying hurtful things. I didn't like myself when I would go out with my friends and have a great time, and then I would come back in and he'd say, well, did you have a nice time? And I'd say, well, it was all right. You know, because I didn't want him to think that I was having a nice time, because then I was afraid he would continue with, with his, you know, he wouldn't change anything. I just kept thinking if I got miserable enough, because I never, you know, I always knew that he loved me, but thought, you know, maybe if I get miserable enough, he will get so upset, he will change. And it happened. <laughs> he was tough, you know, he was really tough. Anyhow, somewhere along here, um, 
members of his family had gotten into the program, and one of them was uh, interested in, and they and they would come around and they would talk. You know, they would talk about AA and they would talk about alcoholism in the family. And quite frankly, I was not interested in hearing it because I was worn out. I was tired. You know, I had been to social workers, I had been to priests, I'd been to psychiatrists, I'd been to psychologists. I had been all over, and I was at the point then, and this was tw- after 12 years of marriage, that I thought, forget it, I'm not doing it anymore. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do anymore. I give up. I quit. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to one more thing. I'm not going to Al-Anon and, you know, or any more meetings. I'm finished with meetings and, you know, shelling out money for a psychiatrist to tell me I should make more I statements. I mean, what a joke, you know? A priest that told me maybe if I wore more makeup or, you know, maybe I should learn to take a back seat and not be so opinionated. You know, I went to a psychic even once, and the psychic said to me, Hey, your husband is wonderful, but he is sick, and his whole family is sick, and, you know, everything is going to be all right. Her, I give a dollar and a quarter to. (laughs) Anyway. So, um... I don't know. You know, they kept it up with the talk about the alcoholism in this family. And two things, I think, that, that made me want to go. Number one is because I love my husband's sisters. And I didn't know, you know, and, and their conversations were always about AA and I felt left out. And I wanted to, I wanted to be able to talk with them, you know. I, and conv- convincingly, you know, I wanted to be able to learn that language, you know. I wanted to learn those phrases. And so that was one thing. But the other thing was um, that I, I knew it was, I knew my kids were, 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 were troubled. I mean, my kids were messed up. And, as, and my kids were afraid. I didn't know I was afraid at that point, but I knew my kids were afraid. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I should go and just at least find out, you know, if this is going to affect my kids. The thought, and I've said this before, the thought, my thought of down, of thinking down the road, you know, that I would have to sit down at a table Christmas dinner with eight lunatics, you know, that in itself thought, i got to nip this somewhere in the bud, you know. <laughs> my God. So... Um, at the time, they, um, somebody in the family was going to do an intervention on another person in the family, and I assumed that they were going to ask me to take part. And my husband said, if you take part in sending my mother to a care unit, I will never forgive you. Not only won't I forgive you, but I'm going to call all your brother-in-laws, and we're, I'm going to get them together, and we're going to put your mother in a care unit. <laughs> and I said, well, Rick, but my mother doesn't drink. And he said, I don't care. <laughs> And what scared me is that I knew he was crazy enough that he would do it. And all I could think of was my poor mother locked up in Christ's hospital saying, but I don't drink, and having all these people say, that's what everybody says, you know? I mean, we'd never see her again, you know, because they'd think she was in denial. So, at any rate, they never asked me, but it was such a source of, of confusion for me that I said to my husband, if you don't want to take part in that intervention, that's great. I'm going to go find out what it, I'm going to find out what this stuff is. And so I called someone that I knew who had been going to Al-Anon, and she took me to my first meeting. And I went there, and I, I right off the bat, I loved it. I didn't think, I, I wasn't quite sure, well, I, I should say, you know, no one said to me at that very first meeting, you know, you're here because you're sick. If they had, I probably wouldn't have gone back. But, you know, I did hear a lot of what I needed to hear. And one of the first things that I was told was that, you know, 
you can't, you cannot, you know, you, you can't fix this. This is beyond you. You can't fix this. And that in itself gave me such a sense of relief, you know, that it really brought down my panic level, you know, not thinking that I had to fix it. I never thought that I, I caused it because, you know, quite frankly, I knew that he was a little, you know, I saw a lot of that when I first met him, although at the time I found it to be charming, you know, <laughs> so I never thought I caused it, but boy, I still thought I should be able to fix it, and I thought that even, you know, for years in al and I still thought, you know, even though we say we can't fix it, maybe there is a way that it really can be fixed, you know, so, um, <clears throat> so I loved it. I, again, you know, I'd been to a lot of groups and a lot of meetings and a lot of different places, and I never, um, never felt like... You know, I never got that sense of being where I was supposed to be as much as I did in Al-Anon. Um, and after, and I used to go, and I would be quiet, and they wouldn't say anything, and I would just listen. And then after a while, this one woman came up to me at the end of one meeting, and she said, you know, until you're ready to admit that you two are sick, you know, you, you are never going to, things probably won't change for you. And I remember feeling at that time very much you know, put upon. Oh, you know, come on, lady. I have been through, you know, I have been through the, you know, the tortures of hell. Now you're telling me that I'm the one that's sick, you know? I mean, I thought this is really, I thought I should be awarded something. You know? <laughs> I really did. I mean, I expected for some people to come to me and say, gee, you have done so well. What is your secret? And nobody ever said that to me. And I, you know, I caught on eventually that, you know, that perhaps, you know, perhaps there there was a lot in here. You know, there was a lot of my own um, wrapped up in this problem. That took me a long time. I mean, that really did. That took me meetings and meetings of listening to even to understand that perhaps the problem, you know, could have been could have been with me too. Um, but I loved, you know, again, I loved going to Al-Anon. I thought, you know, I've always liked to read, and Al-Anon for me was always great literature because, I mean, you could find, you know, drama and comedy and, and anything, tragedy, and it was all there. And I loved those meetings. Um, but when I started to, um, when I started to take it seriously was when I began to notice that there were people in those meetings that I really liked and that reminded me of who I wanted to be. It reminded me of what I would like, you know, what I would like my life to be like. Um, you know, coming to believe that a, a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity was only tough until I believed that I needed to be restored, until I could see. And I, and I really could, you know, I, I never recognized the damage in myself until I heard other people talk about how alcoholism was damaging to them. And when I heard their stories, you know, and their comments, you know, it made me braver. It gave me courage and it gave me hope to look at how it really had damaged me and how, you know, how I really needed to be restored. Um, I think that first step um, is one that I, you know, well, you know, you, you never, I guess I never have mastered it, but you know, I was I was getting better at it, and and I know my husband and my kids began to recognize it. You know, after a while, you know, laying off and not always being in the middle of things. You know, and and, and recognizing the fact that I was powerless over this disease and that my life was truly out of control. A friend of mine, um, not so long ago, made a fourth step, and she gave it to a priest who was not an Al-Anon, but he said to her when she was finished, "Gee, alcoholism." has really hollowed you out, hasn't it? And when she told me that, I thought, gee, what a wonderful phrase, hollowed out. And I think that's what had happened to me. I think, um, 
you know, the disease really had hollowed me out um, because I, you know, I was like a shell. I had been hollowed out. And um, to believe in a power greater than myself that can restore me. You know, when I think of restoration, you know, I think of a process that is very slow and very caring and very healing. Um, And I think that, for me, is what the second step means, to be restored, you know, in a very loving and and gentle way. Um, Sometimes, um, usually in the morning, I swim. And I do some readings and I have some prayers before I swim. But when I get in that water, you know, and I and I love to do it because it's so boring and it's so quiet. And I just put my head underwater and I just go back and forth and back and forth. And sometimes, you know, I just think of that. I think of being restored and I think of healing. And I um, I teach. And one time I came across this this heading of a chapter that said Jesus heals. And I thought, oh, Jesus heals. Isn't that isn't that isn't that so true? Sometimes I just say that back and forth as I swim. Not always. Sometimes I say, oh, God, let me hit my head in the deep end and die so I don't have to go home. You know, but sometimes, you know, when I'm working at it, I use that time to remind myself that God does heal, you know, that the higher power heals, that the group heals, that that is there for me. You know, that restorative, that restorative, uh, whatever it is, power is there for me because I have been hollowed out. I have been hollowed out. Um, I don't know how to turn. I don't know how to turn my life and my will over to the care of God. I don't know how to do that. Maybe I should make a God bag or something. I, I don't know how I do it. I know that each day I, you know, I say the prayer, and I say, you know, God, you know, give me what I need to do Your will. Some days I say, let me want to want Your will, because not every day do I want it. Uh, some days I'm, I get afraid, and I think, oh, you know, His will's going to be, oh, His will's going to be something I'm going to hate, you know, or His will's going to be something awful. It's going to be a tough lesson that I don't want to learn. His will's going to involve pain. But you know, all I know to do is is to say that prayer and and to be aware of that through the day. You know, to try to want, to want, you know, His will, and and to remind myself, you know, that I need to let go of a lot of things. Um, I went to Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago, and I visited a friend of mine, and we went to her sister's house. And um, when we left um, her sister's house, uh, it was in this lovely little suburb of Washington, D.C., and her sister and husband uh, were there in their backyard with their 2.5 children building a new garden. And I mean, and they all waved in unison to us, and they're all happy, and that's, and that's wonderful. I'm not making fun of that. It's great. <laughs> I don't know. I really hope a disaster strikes them shortly. <laughs> no. And as we were backing away from this lovely scene, I said to my friend, you know, that's, that's what I thought my life was going to be. That's what I thought my life was going to be. And that's what I find with that third step is that I continually have to let go of those ideas that I have conceived that this is how my life is going to be. And that, you know, that's what really got me with, you know, those, those years is because I refused to believe that what I thought my life was going to be wasn't how it was going to be. I wouldn't let go of that idea that I had. And I made things so tough on myself and if it didn't you know and I was you know I'd be damned if if that scene wasn't going to look you know if it wasn't really what I wanted to be I was going to make sure that it looked like that's what it was to everybody else Um, 
I stayed doing you know, it with those first, you know, one, two, three, those steps for a long time, and I, I didn't go any further, and I just, you know, kept saying, like, go, oh, let God, and if my husband would blow up, I'd think, you know, that's all right, let go, let God, and I used the program, and I think you can use anything as a, you know, weapon if you want, and I used it as a weapon, I know I did, because there were times when he would be arguing, and I would say to him in my, you know, in my, I would say, well, and I would say, just like that, you could be right, and all that was driving crazy, and I knew it would drive crazy and that's why I really love to say it you know and I used it for you know to for revenge I used it because I thought uh, you know see how it feels and um, so I did that and or I would say he would say well now I think this and I'd say well you be right I'll be happy and he'd say what does that mean what does that mean I'd say well you know I felt like I was in the secret society and I loved it you know at any rate, one, at one meeting, a friend of mine, a good, close friend of mine, gave a lead, and he spoke about um, make, doing a four-step. And at that point, I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought about doing a four-step because I didn't think I needed to do a four-step, because um, you know, I just didn't think I needed to do a four-step for God's sake. My life was pretty clean. I mean, what you know, what did I have? But when I heard him talk about the importance of it in his life and getting a sponsor, you know, I thought. That guy's got what I want. And if that's what he did, that's what I'm going to do. And so I got a sponsor. And I started to work on the fourth step. And it took me a few months. And I tried, you know, and I, I, I tried very hard to, um, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, you can do it all different ways. You do. I followed the book, you know. I used this, you know, the blueprint that, that Al-Anon has, uh, the blueprint for, um, Four step, whatever the name it is, and uh, I used the big book, and 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 I used them both, and I I did it the best that I could. I know sometimes I I'm um, I, I'm too casual because I'm lazy, and I think, well, I don't really have to do it that way. But with that fourth step, I wanted to make sure that I did it. You know, I wanted to be complete about it. Um, and I can really say that. It, it made it made it, it made an enormous difference. It made all the difference in the world for me, uh, you know, to get it down. And, and for me, I had to write it down on in paper, on paper, and and to see those resentments and that anger, and to see you know where they were directed. But most importantly, to see how I played a part in it. And to do that honestly, I mean, I can only say that you know the fourth step was done with a tremendous amount of grace because I, you know, I can be a, a terrific liar. But I think I did a pretty good fourth step for, for a liar. And I think, uh, you know, I think, that's, I think that's the grace of God. I really do. Uh, and getting a spot, you know, and sharing that with another human being for me was, was terrific. It was great. And what I love about my sponsor is that in doing that fifth step with her, you know, she, she was just, you know, she never looked horrified. She never, you know, she was wonderful. She was just wonderful. Um, I think doing that fourth and fifth step was when I really knew that I was serious about Al-Anon because up until then, you know, I, I liked it, I enjoyed it, I loved the meetings, I loved the people in it. But, um, you know, I still thought, gee, I wonder how long I'm going to be going to these meetings, you know. I wonder if, you know, it's going to take a year or two or three before I'm finished with this or before I get, you know, really well. And I think that's when I just, I made, a, you know, a serious commitment. I hate that word. But it's the only one I can think of, to Al-Anon, where I really recognized that this is where, um, you know, this was it for me. You know, there was no more trips, you know, to the, to the, you know, racing around, you know, help me, help me, you know, help me to the priest, help me to this, help me to that. 
you know, although uh, my, the kids and I still go to this one social worker, and sometimes I think about stopping, but I think we're the only help she's getting. <laughs> so, anyway, so that's the step, you know, and getting that sponsor it was terrific. It was terrific for me. And I would call my sponsor, and I'd say, oh, my God, you know, now he's doing this. And she would say, oh, oh this isn't that alcoholic behavior. You know, and she would take it so lightly, I'd think, Oh, yeah, you know, I guess it is. I mean, she would dissolve that, that panic for me. Or I'd say, oh, now this is what he's doing. And she'd say, well, let's not talk about him. Let's talk about you. And I'd say, well, but don't you want to hear about Genghis Khan? I mean, it's much more exciting. No, she'd say, let's talk about you. And, you know, that's why I, I, I don't know. I don't think I would have gotten anywhere without that sponsor, without a sponsor. I mean, she just led me through so many things and was so encouraging and still is encouraging to me. Um, all I ever, I think what I really, you know, what I, what I wanted back from Al-Anon was to be alive again, you know, to be a human again. I don't know what God's will for me, but I do know one thing for sure about God's will for me is that it's to be a human. Because otherwise, you know, I'd be an antelope or I'd be a tree. I know one thing is that God wants me to be a human. And with that, I know he wants me, you know, to feel again. And that's, you know, that's what I want back. You know, to be a human being again. To be alive again. Um, I think that um, for me, you know, being entirely ready to have God remove my defects of character... For me, the key, one of the key things is to accept the fact, you know, that I, that I have the, these limitations. You know, people would say to me early on in Alan, gee, why do you, you know, why do you stay with him? And I would say, well, because, you know, I really love him and because I, um, think that I should and because, you know, all these reasons where, you know, after I got, after I was in the program for a while, I could honestly say, I stay with him because I love him, but I also stay with him because I'm very afraid to leave him and I'm also stay with him because I still feel very guilty about not being able to fix him. And, you know, when I could say that, and, and feel all right about that, I knew that I had come a long way uh, and not have to explain that to somebody or apologize for it. That's the way that it was. I st- stood in there because I, I was afraid to leave. I had all these kids. I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't have any money. And I also stayed because I felt badly about getting so happy, and he was still so miserable. And I wanted to say, oh, you know, come on. You know, I know where you can go, and you'll love it, and ooh. But, you know. I felt guilty about that. Even, you know, even being in for a long time, I felt guilty about that. And I still feel guilty about that sometimes when I know people, you know, who have it, um, you know, who are suffering and, and uh, you know, and I know where they can go and I, I, I don't know. I don't know. At any rate, um, I think for me, you know, that wanting to be human, I was in a meeting one time and um, a woman said, um, and my husband, you know, and I fixed this wonderful plate of spaghetti for my husband, and he hated it, and he threw it up against the wall, and I thought, well, you're not going to get a rise out of me. That's not going to make me angry. And I thought, geez, it's not. I mean, I wanted to say, you know, poison that mother. If somebody, you know, <laughs> took a plate of spaghetti, and that's what I want. I want that back again. And, and you know, that's why sometimes I have trouble with, you know, acting as if. You know, I can see sometimes where we need to act as if. But on the other hand, and I think... There's a balance there somewhere. I acted as if for years, you know, and that screwed me up. There's a time and a place for acting as if. But for me, you know, if somebody takes my dinner, because I had that done once I bought, you know, six ears of corn and and he wanted 12 and he took the six and threw them across the floor. And I thought, well, you know, that doesn't bother me. But it did bother me. It bothered me a lot, you know. And I I want to, so being human for me again is important. And to feel those feelings again that I for so long pretended like I didn't feel. Um, 
when I, um, you know, so often I do this again, and I guess, you know, to be entirely ready to have God remove defects of character and be, and to humbly ask him to remove it, I guess, for me, means to actually be willing, you know, not to, you know, to let, to let him go. To give him the reins, I guess, to that horse and, and to be able to say, okay, you know, however you want to do this, do it. You know, fear, fear screws me up a lot. There are times, though, where God removes that fear from me, not so that I'm fearless for the rest of my life, but when I, when I need to be brave, I'm brave. And I'm not really a brave person, but it seems to be, for example, my son, when he was, um, you know, one time after I'd been in the program for about a year, he said to me, you know, Mom, you have really changed, and I think it's those meetings you go to. And I said, well, you know, I think you're right. I think, I think this really has helped me a lot. And he said, can I go with you? And I thought, oh, God. And I, oh, you know, I thought, now what am I going to do? Now he's going to want to go to Alakina. and oh, it's going to cause so much trouble, and that guy will kill me. And I didn't say that. I said, well, well, you know, we'll think about it. But inside, I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I, you know, and I talked to people about it, and I thought, you know, I, I guess somehow or another, It'll it'll turn out. And one night when my husband was gone, uh, <laughs> he was tapping muskrat or something. He was gone, and he wasn't back. And I thought, you know, now this is it. It was a Tuesday night, and I knew that Mount Washington and Alatinga. And I thought, this is it. We'll we'll get out of here fast. And I threw the kid in the car, and he took his sister with him. And we went to the mall, and we walked along the mall. And we ate. I mean, I was just stalling until eight o'clock came. And I mean, now that doesn't sound like a big thing, but that to me was so brave, you know. I don't know where that courage came from because I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I was so scared all the time. And so I got him there and we came home and he said, where have you been? And I said, well, I went to Al-Anon, the kids went to Alateen and blah, blah, blah. But you know, I, I said, well, they, they asked, you know, they asked to go and I think they like it. And that's all I said. That to me was, a, I mean, an enormous milestone. I don't know where that came from. That, to me, is how God works. That, to me, is how God, you know, removes the defect of character. It gives me courage when I need it. Um, I don't know. I don't know how any of this works to tell you the truth. <laughs> it's all a mystery to me. Um, when I made a list of people that I had harmed um, and became willing to make amends to them all, I, you know, that was hard for me because, boy, you know, I had pretended for so long that my kids, you know, because of my wonderful acting skills, that my kids had not been affected, but I knew that they had. And I had said to my kids at times, boy, I wish, you know, I wish you could have known me when I was 19. I was so neat. I was so much fun. I was not what you see today. You know, this this hag that cries over Social Security, you know, all day long. Um, and I think for my kids, one of the biggest, you know, the amends that I made for them was to get better. Was to get better. I mean, to say the little kids, you know, now I'm sorry for this and I'm sorry, you know, that was that would have been easy for them. The amends was to change and and to become happy. Um, I don't know how they put up with me before then, but you know, that's how I make my amends to my kids is to get better. And I have to remind myself of that sometimes when I begin to feel guilty when I, you know, when I'm on the phone too much with, you know, with this or that or when I'm gone to meetings. I have to remember that, you know, again, there is a balance. But that benefits them when I'm the best that I can be. That, you know, that spills over onto my kids. Um, and I also had to learn, you know, make amends to myself. And I still do that. I mean, I do that all the time. I, I continue to, to forgive myself for being um, so hard on myself. You know, for getting so angry at myself when I'm a jerk. You know, to be able to say, well, you're a jerk, and that's that's all right, too. You can be a jerk. I never knew that. I never thought that I could be. I thought that I had to, you know, I had to, I used to always think, well, my God, you know, he's such a jerk. If I'm a jerk, too, that's really going to mess things up. So I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to be the moral leader here, and I'm going to have to be, you know, I'm going to have to be, you know, the shining ideal, or otherwise he'll fall apart. 
um, the greatest gift of this program has been that I was able to sincerely make amends to my husband. And I knew when I read that step that sooner or later it was going to have to be done, but at that time I didn't feel like doing it. And so I'd been in the program for a while, and, you know, and because it is a process, I did, you know, I, and particularly after I did a fourth and fifth step, I could understand where I had set him up, oh, constantly, you know, constantly how I'd set things up. Um, and, and, and been cruel, really cruel, and, um, all sorts of things uh, that I had done unfairly and unjustly, and so I um, went to him and, and made my amends to him, and it was it was really great. I mean, it was it was loving, it was lovely, and it was done. I thought, you know, it was accepted, and, and I know that's not important, but to tell you the truth, I think it's a nice one. It is. Uh, if it hadn't been, I guess it would have been fine too. But it but it was accepted, and I I don't know. I felt really good about that. Um. um Hmm. Um, I used to think that when you made amends to somebody, it meant that after the amends was made, everything was fine, you know. And I guess an important thing that I've learned about uh, making amends to somebody again is that that I just need to take, I just need to make the amends, I just need to take responsibility for my part in something. I don't have to take responsibility for everybody's everybody's part in it, you know, just for mine. Um, my husband was killed in a crash two years ago, and I will be eternally grateful, you know, to Al-Anon that, you know, those amends were made. And I can say that, you know, the program gave us, um, you know, years, you know, some years, some really good years there uh, that, I, uh, that I would never have had, you know, had it not been for Al-Anon. Um, I think that um, I, it's, I know that it's important for me to continue to uh, take inventory. I know that um, I like to do it on a daily basis and never have. I, you know, sometimes I get out my notebook and I think, oh my God, you know, look, it's been days since I've done this. Um, <clears throat> but one thing that Alan on tell, you know, at least I know, you know, I know where to go now, whereas before I didn't, and I know, you know, I, I know that it can be done. And I know what to do, and I've got a much better clue. What I used to look for in organized religion, um, and I find concentrated in Al-Anon, um, that, that spirituality. Um, it's still difficult for me, you know, to let go of my kids. Um, my oldest son um, is an alcoholic and a drug addict, and it really accelerated, I think, after my husband's death. I, I don't know if it's because I'm... I'm out of it, or because I was working good Alan on program, I had no idea the kid had a problem with drugs and alcohol. I, but I knew after my husband died, his behavior got very, very bizarre. And so, on the advice of um, this woman that works with our family, I put him in Emerson North. And when I got him in there, and they and they interviewed him, I mean, I was shocked at at the drugs that the kid had taken. I mean, I, I was flabbergasted, and I immediately felt, oh my God, you know, if, my first reaction was, oh my God, if I had known this, you know, I could have prevented it. And then my second reaction, you know, my more reasonable reaction is, well, <laughs> well, what a surprise. Uh, <laughs> and I had told the story before that when I took him there, I thought it was just going to be for an interview, and he did too, and I truly did. I thought we were going to just be an interview there, so that's what they told me. And so I got him at school, and I took him to McDonald's first, and I mean, he, I didn't know he was on something. I didn't know he took anything. See, I, and I said to the people out there, you know, when he was talking to his Big Mac, I thought he was just nervous. I didn't know he what do I know? I miss, you know, I miss so much. Um, my husband used to always say about our oldest child, who has, you know, me, he's been hyperactive and, and, you know, throw a hyperactive kid into an alcoholic situation. I mean, he was always in trouble and always doing this and always doing that. My husband used to always say to me, that kid needs to go to jail. <laughs> I think, he's 
28 years old. So I said, that kid needs, he needs to be in jail. I'll straighten him up. And I think, oh, my God, you know, what a, what a terrible thing. But, you know, as it turns out, um, as it turns out, he was thrown out of this pro I mean, he was thrown out of this hospital because he ran away a number of times, and the judge gave him a probation officer and put him in 90-90, and I thought that was fine, but then after that, you know, he was back to, you know, back at doing stuff and stealing stuff, and one time, um, his number of ants in the program, and, and one of them gave him his, you know, his big book, and I was in his room cleaning it up, and oh, I thought, oh, there's this kid's big book in this suite, and I opened it up, you know, to read a chapter, and here that little kid had hollowed out the whole inside of that book like a safe, and inside were the keys to his grandmother's truck that he used to steal all the time, you know? I was only 15, and I thought, Bleh. but you know, that's good for me, because that reminds me that I don't know, I don't know the course anybody's recovery is going to take. I have no idea. He was put into another program, you know, you know, punched his way out of that one, uh, and then finally, by God, he did end up in jail. Uh, you know, and he spent his 16th birthday in, in 2020, and I, uh, and he would come to me, you know, on, on visiting days, and he'd say, oh, Mom, this is the greatest place you've ever put me, and I'd think, oh. <laughs> You know, and I'd walk out of there on, on visiting day and I'd think, isn't this, I mean, isn't this amazing that this is the way, you know, that it's come to this and that it's all right. Now, if somebody had told me, you know, in the first place, put the kid in jail, I could never have done that. But, you know, it, it all worked out that way and he did go to jail and you know what? It was the best thing for him. And today, you know, I don't know, he seems to be all right. What do I know, though? You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, he's in a program and everything. I don't know if he'll stay or not. I, and I still have trouble. He was home for a week on vacation, and I said to him two days ago, um, now, Mark, let's get up tomorrow and let's go to Finley Market. You want to go with me? And he said, oh, I'd love to. And I said, all right, we're going to get up bright and early. And he said, okay. And so, I, you know, I set the alarm and I got up and I went down. And I said, Mark, it's time to go to Finley Market. And he said, mm. I said, come on, Mark, it's time to go to Finley Market. And then mm, and I thought, oh, you little brat, I know you're awake and you still want to wake up. So I shook him again. I said, Mark, it's time to go to Finley Market. And he said, oh, I'm too tired. Now, immediately I think to myself, Forget it. Go to Finley Market yourself. Who cares? But I didn't do that. I said, if you don't get up and go to Finley Market, I'm going to tell your caseworker you're shooting heroin through your toes. I <laughs> 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 went to Finley Market. <laughs> I know that's wrong. I know that's wrong. And I, I mean, I knew that's screwy. But I, I think, you know, so what? So I, I was screwy that day. That's okay. <laughs> you know? And that's one other thing I love about Al-Anon is because we're all nuts. I mean, I would feel like a sore thumb if I weren't nuts, too. I know I make mistakes like this. And that's okay. So what? So I did that, and that was wrong, and I know that it was controlling and manipulative, and I'm like that some days. But I'm not as manipulative as I was five years ago or even three months ago. And so, you know, and I see change, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always happen at once. Um, and the last thing that I want to say is I think that um, it's funny because at my home group, just this past week, we talked about the 12th step. And I think for me, you know, that 12th step is, um, you know, that spiritual awakening or that, that spirituality, that, you know, that's it. I mean, that's that's what happens when you, when you do this 11. When I... And that's what I want. You know, I wanted that, that, that spirituality, that spiritual awakening is really, as it turns out, all I've ever really wanted, ever, is, is to see, um, you know, spirituality, to see the divine in the common. That's all I've ever wanted to see is the hand of God in my life since I was a little kid. And how f funny that that's, you know, through all that, that's where it's come. I think, you know, if, if you plant corn and you water it and you give it enough sun, you get corn. And that's what I find is true about 
the twelfth step. When I do those eleven steps, you know, when I when I pray and and when I uh, you know do what I need to do, when I follow Him along, uh, and I pray for that, you know, and try to see what God's will is for me. And the only way I can do it, of course, is you know is coming through one through you know one through eleven. Then the twelfth step it happens I don't do a 12 step it all of it, it just happens it unfolds it, it occurs um, um, I, I think gratitude you know is an important part about my spirituality and I have always had trouble with you know hearing people say and I'm I'm grateful that I married an alcoholic I would think oh I mean oh you're grateful you married an alcoholic what does that mean am I supposed to be grateful for those 12 years they were hard painful years I, mean, I I was like saying, and I'm grateful that I was gang raped by the Hell's Angels in the <laughs> summer of '63 because it taught me about my sexuality. <laughs> I never got that, but I do know this. I do know this that alcoholism, living with it, has made me willing to learn the lessons that I needed to learn. Now. That's what alcoholism did. Would have there been, you know, could I have learned those lessons another way? I don't know, but I know this, that that's how I learned them. That's how I learned them. And I don't, and I can't change that. And, uh, you know, I don't know of any more, I, I mean, I'm so arrogant, um, oh, so arrogant, that I, I don't know of anything else that could have taught me, or not even taught me, because I'm still learning it, but at least made me willing to want to learn the lessons that I need to learn. And for that, I am I am eternally grateful. I mean, I am a very grateful person. Um, um, you know, uh, to carry this message to others, to me, is you know that again, you know that that just is a byproduct. That happens. You know, the message can be um, in. in Many times, I know I, I talk a lot, but beyond that, the message for me is the way that I live my life. You know, that I'm living a good, healthy life, that is a message. That's the way that I carry that message. Uh, you know, to be willing to work with beginners, well, I mean, you know, beginners um, are, are so important, not only because, you know, for me, they not only remind me of, 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 of feelings that I once had, they remind me of feelings that I still have. I'm not that far removed from beginners at all. I mean, I really consider myself to be a beginner. Someone said to me the other day, well, you really work a good program. And I thought, if she only knew that two hours ago, I chased a six-year-old around the dining room table and told him I was going to twist his ears off the side of his head. <laughs> I mean, that's not, you know, I am a beginner. And what I love about beginners is the beginners will say things like, you know, sometimes when you get in this program for so long and you say things like, well, you know, you know you've, got a, you've got to, oh, it's one of those things you've got to, you know, um, <laughs> well, you know, well, there's a million of them. You know, all the questions. I can't even think of one. You know, you say, you got to detach with love. And then the beginner will say, detach with love? How do you detach with love? And I think, I forget. <laughs> oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, they, they keep me working in a good program. They keep me humble because I realize a lot of times I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, I keep saying all this stuff. And, and they bring me back, you know. They bring me back to where I should be. It's like the emperor's clothes. You know, the beginners will say, well, you don't have any clothes. Honey, he's naked. Well, oh, that's right. <laughs> so I love beginners. They help me a lot, a whole lot. Um, I don't know. I will end my lead. My I end my lead. Um, it, it leads. I, you know, again, when people say, "Will you give a lead?" 
there was a day when I would say, oh, no, I don't want to give a lead. And the reason that I didn't want to give a lead is because I would sit and listen to other leads and think, oh, that's not the way you work the third step. Oh, you know, oh, that's the way she thinks you work the seventh step. That's why I didn't want to give a lead because I thought somebody would be out doing that to me, you know. I don't do that so much anymore. I still do it sometimes, but I don't do it like I used to do it. I'm getting much better at that. I used to think it all had to be worked the same way, those 12 steps, and if you weren't working it the way I wasn't working it, somebody was wrong and it wasn't going to be me, you know? I don't feel that way anymore. And if somebody says, you want to give a lead? I say, well, sure. I mean, well, sure. I mean, unless I get a date with a rich doctor or something, sure. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll leave it. Anyway. Um, I'm 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 very thrilled, you know, that I got to Al-Anon, and I I sometimes am amazed that I ever got there because I you know there's so many things that that you know kept me out for so long, and and they aren't all gone by any stretch of the imagination. Sometimes they leave temporarily. Some of them are gone. I hope for you know some time. But my mother said to me one time, um, she said, Kathy, why you know why do you still go to Al-Anon? You know Rick is dead, and I say, you know, Mom, I go because I'm not. <laughs> Thank you.